The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, Summit Church, thank you so much for joining us online again today. Uh, Wherever you're meeting, whether it's on a laptop, driving down the road, whether you are watching on your phone, you have it on the big screen, and I'm right here in your living room. Uh, We're just thrilled that you have chosen uh, to engage in what is unique uh, in our culture and our society right now. The churches are closed. We cannot physically gather together, but that does not stop what God wants to do in and through your life. I believe that he has a great, great message for you today. Uh, It's about biblical simplicity. I actually wrote this several weeks ago, planning for it to be during uh, spring break, but man, it it applies so much better now. Uh, One of the ways that we want to engage together is through the comments below. So you're on YouTube, there's comments below. We would love for you to engage with the community. It's one of the ways we can do so. Uh, One of the questions I just want to throw out is, how are you combating cabin fever right now? I'm sure many of you are restless. Your kids aren't going back to school. Uh, What are you doing specifically to kind of break the monotony? We would love to hear that from you. We would love for you to be able to share with those who are struggling for ideas of how to make this season as good as possible. As I said last week, this is the time for the church to shine. This is the time for us as the people of God to come together and to say, hey, we have hope and we have a great message for this world in this craziness, this season of chaos. And I hope that we can do just that. I know for my staff and I, we have been spending the entire week making phone calls. Most of you probably got a phone call from one of us just saying, hey, is there any way we can help you as a church? We want to be reaching out to help people. And one of the main ways we can do that is through you, through you reaching out to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to people that you come into contact with, even though you're not supposed to, and just saying, hey, we're here for you. Is there any way we can help? Uh, One of the things you can do in light of that is please continue to be generous. Uh, I know you heard Tia speak about that earlier, but can you continue to be generous? Not so that the church will stay afloat. The church is fine, but we want to be able to meet physical needs within our community as many people are going to be struggling in this season to just simply pay the bills. We want to be able to do that. And so you can make comments even below if you know of someone or if you are someone that needs help, we would love, love, love to be able to meet those physical needs. Anyway, uh, I've got a message about biblical simplicity. And here's where it comes from. A couple weeks ago, I had the wonderful opportunity, and it was a privilege, to actually do my grandmother's funeral. And, I, and that sounds weird, but she had lived a wonderful and a beautiful life. Her body had outlived her spirit, and she was ready to go meet Jesus. And I got to stand at the graveside and preside over that. And it was a huge honor. And one of the things that I said was that my grandmother she was content with little. She was content with little. And because of that, I believe that she was blessed with much. And that really encapsulates this idea of biblical simplicity. How do we, before the Lord, say we are content and full of joy with much or with little, and preferably with little, knowing that in being so, you will bless us with much? How do we step into that truth? How do we figure that formula out so that we can live in such a way that even in this completely unknown time in our world, if 
Oil and gas continues to drop. If the stock market plummets, if your 401k does not look great, how do we stay content and full of joy knowing that God richly blesses those who are content in him? How do we do that? That's what I want to talk about today. So I've got some some thoughts. Uh, just you know, kind of sit back, relax, and here we go. Biblical simplicity. What what is it? Well, it's overly generalized as this. It's giving more while expecting less. Okay, you're like that's biblical simplicity. What does that even mean? Well, it's giving more, understanding that everything that we have is God's, and it's expecting less. It's learning to be content. With little. That, that's an overly generalized idea. My grandmother, a depression era child, she got that. You know, she was in her formative years with nothing. She had to learn to be content with nothing. She had to learn to give to those who had even less than her. But in her life, then, she absolutely gained the knowledge and the joy that comes from being content in the Lord, giving more, expecting less. It's an interesting concept, but here's what's going on in our culture right now. Our modern culture, it's out of whack. It it really is. And I don't want to step on anyone's toes too hard today, but let me just throw out a few ideas here. We buy things that we do not want to impress people we do not care about. That's that's an interesting thought, right? We, the clothes, the cars, what we do to our house, our home, what we add to our backyard, it's It's not really even for us, it's for the people that come over so that people we don't really care about a whole lot will be impressed with what we have. Covetness, which is a sin in the Bible, coveting things. We covet things and we call that ambition. We justify it by going, hey, we're going for it. We hoard things. We literally store up more than we would ever need or even want and we call that prudence. We're just being wise. You never know what's going to happen. And then greed. And greed is obviously against God, but we call that industry. That's just us pursuing the golden goose that we all think we deserve and need for joy in this life. Those are just some interesting concepts about our society and our culture. And biblical simplicity addresses each and every one of those. And it's Jesus who taught this. Jesus is the one who taught a new way of living, a new kind of lifestyle that's, that's different from those ideas. He said it's a life free from the need of things. We don't have to have them. We don't have to have them because he taught a life that says if we have him, we have all that we need. That was his teaching. Those were his words. The keys to this life, he gives us several, but the first one is this. The key that Jesus taught to this life is to treasure him, to treasure Jesus. Matthew 6, verses 19 and 21. And then we're going to read verse 24. It says this, Do not store it for yourself. Treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store it for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Here's some questions, just, just ponder these. If you even need to pause the video to think this through, that would be great. But what is your greatest treasure? What is your greatest treasure? What is the most valuable thing in your life? What would you protect at all costs? What would you lay down your life for? What do you desire to have more than anything else? As a follower of Christ, the answer to all three of those questions should be Jesus. In reality, that is probably not the answer. That's probably not the answer to those three questions for most of us. You, you filled in the blank with different things if you're being honest and I'm not saying that you're completely flawed and wrong. I'm just saying we need to look at that and we need to address our biblical simplicity and our contentment and our joy and where we find these things. Wealth and discipleship following Jesus, they're not mutually exclusive, but wealth oftentimes stands in the way of us following Jesus because wealth becomes our treasure. Money becomes our God. And that's why Jesus says this. You can't have both. You can't love both. Now, what if you are wealthy? Does that mean I don't love God? No, 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 no. It's not what that means at all. Because I believe that God richly blesses those who are faithful with little, and he gives them much more but it's because their heart is completely anchored in him. It's completely anchored, not in the things of this world, not in the trusting of the things of this world, but in him and trusting him. And I think that's what we need to know. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And I know this may not be the funnest conversation to have, but I believe this with everything in me. Our country, our world, is heading into a recession. In Oklahoma, we're gonna feel it even more so than other places because of what's happening with oil and gas. Some that are listening to this will be completely unaffected, and that's great. But many of you in the next year are going to see shortfalls in your income. How do you respond to that? What do you treasure in this season? I think these are important conversations to have now before it all happens, because I do think it's coming. What is your number one? What is the most important thing in your world? What would you give everything for if it is Jesus? If you are content with little, I believe, church, that you will be blessed with much. I believe that with everything in me. And I think these are conversations we need to start having now. The second principle of living this life is do not worry about stuff. Try your hardest not to worry about stuff. Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than just clothing? Jesus attacks our most logical rebuttal to his previous statement. If you just don't care about stuff and you give everything away, how are you going to live? How are you going to eat? How are you going to clothe yourselves? Jesus says, don't worry about it. God's got you. Even if you were to give every dime away, God would provide for your most basic of needs. That is a promise that we can take to the bank. Look at verse 26. Look, look at the birds of the air. That word look literally means carefully learn from. 
So look out your window, see the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? The birds of the air don't have barns. They don't have 401ks. They wake up every morning. They go find the food that God provides for them. They live their life, and the next day, the same thing happens again. Are you not more important to God than a bird? These flighty little creatures teach us the provision of God. And they become living examples, sermon illustrations of the truth that God has for us. That he loves us, he made us, and he will provide for us. Regardless of the economy, regardless of the season that we're in in the world, he will provide. He's made that promise to us. Therefore, we don't have to worry about stuff. I know this is hard. I know this is difficult, but we don't have to worry because God is in control. Matthew chapter six, verses 27 to 32. Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? The answer is no. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field, they grow. They do not labor or spin. Two words, the male is labor, the female is spin. It's a human trait that we need to learn. You, you look at the flowers, they do what they need to do. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow it is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The birds of the air, the flowers of the field, they show us the provision of God. They show us what we need to see to trust and believe that God has us in this season when we generously give and wonder, how is that ever gonna be replaced? We don't have to worry anymore because we know that God is going to be the provider. God is going to be the sustainer. God is going to be the one that moves forward. God's gonna be the one that comes through. Regardless of what the climate says, God is going to be the one that comes through. The great philosopher once said, worry is practical atheism. It's an affront to God. Now, I don't think I would say that because that's pretty critical. But for the children of God to worry does show a lack of trust at some level. So as you're sitting there this morning, hopefully comfortable and cozy, where is your level of worry? If you would say, honestly, Todd, it's off the charts, man. It's pegging at a 10. I, I don't know what's coming. This, this whole thing's got me tripping out. Join the club. I do not think you're alone. In fact, jump in the comments and, and let us know what you're worrying about. But to not see that God is bigger than this. He's bigger than this virus. He's bigger than our economic downturn. He's bigger than all these things. To not see that is, is to have a lack of trust. And I, I just encourage you to wrestle with that. 
to at least have that mental conversation with yourself to say, why am I so scared? Do I trust that God is in control? Do I trust that he has this and that he will provide for our needs in this season? The third thing and the the final thing for this new way of life that Jesus teaches is to get our priorities right. To get our priorities straight. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What is the top priority in your life? That is a fair question. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Put the kingdom of God first, and then everything else will fall into place. Is that easy to do? Mentally, yes. Yes, it is. You just decide right now to put God and his kingdom first. The rule and the reign of Jesus first in your life. You you decide to do that. Now, is it easy to live out? No, no, it's not. Because there's going to be many things buying for that position. There's going to be many things that want to take that top priority in your life. But I believe this because I've seen it. If you will allow God and his kingdom to be the first priority in your life, his righteousness imputed upon you, nothing that you've earned yourself, but his righteousness lived out in and through you to other people. If you allow that to be number one, everything else just tends to fall into place. If you choose otherwise to worry about the things of this world, to put first your own security, your wealth, your well-being, if you choose to put those first, it is almost instantaneous that all of those other things will start to crumble. Todd, that, that, that equation, that, that seems kind of A plus B equals C. It, it, does it always work out that way? In my experience, yes. Yeah, it does. When I put God first, when I trust him, with my life, with my family, with my resources, finances, when I trust him with that, when I seek his kingdom first, when I'm generous in the way that I live, things seem to work well. Are they perfect? No, but they seem to work in order. When I worry, when I doubt, when I hoard and gather and try to create security for myself, everything else seems to just spiral. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you're in that. If so, share that with us. Let let us know what you're walking through because we as a church want to be there for you. We as a church want to be able to collectively meet the needs of our people. But it takes the right mindset. It takes the right priority. We have to get our priorities straight. To live simple. To live biblically simplistic lives. That's the goal. The central point of this discipline is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that everything else will fall in its proper order. That's the central point of this message. Even the desire for simplicity cannot be first. It has to be God first. You can't say, well, okay, I'm just going to do what you're telling me to do. No, 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 that, that won't work. The desire to be simplistic in your life is not the desire for God. It has to be the desire for God first. 
if you desire to get out of the grind, if you desire for the redistribution of wealth, I mean, that's a huge political topic right now. If you desire for ecology, the world to be saved in a better place, if, if those are your desires and God is not the first desire, even those are all, those are all great things. If God is not first, then, then your priorities are still messed up. But this freedom, the freedom from anxiety, the freedom from worry will be evidenced when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here's the three attributes that will be seen from a person that is seeking first the kingdom of God, okay? Three attributes. The belief that what you have is a gift from God. That's the first one. Everything you have is not yours. It was given to you by God and it's actually still his. That what you do have is cared for by God so you don't have to worry about it. He's the one protecting it. He's the one looking over it. He's the one watching out for you. And then what you have must be available to others. You must live with open hands. And church, we're going to see that more in the next few weeks and months than we've ever seen it before. There are going to be some with plenty and there's going to be some with not enough. And those with plenty are going to need to generously give to those who do not have enough. And I'm not talking about our church's bank account. I'm talking about our church. I'm talking about our people. We're going to need to live by these principles, principles that state that God has it all. He cares for it all. And because it's his and he cares for it all, we have to live open-handed. Those are the characteristics of a person who puts the kingdom of God first. Those are the characteristics of someone who's living biblically simple lives. If you do not feel like what you have is available to the community, that makes the possessions that you do have stolen goods. That makes what you do have stolen goods because you're claiming something that's not yours. It's not yours. We cling to what we have because we fear tomorrow. Church, I don't know what tomorrow has for us, but I know the one who has already overcome it. Cling to him. Do not fear in this season. Do not worry. Live open-handed and generous. Be content with little and you will be blessed with much. As we wrap up today, it is my prayer that we as a church will weather this season and grow in our faith, grow in our trust of the Lord, grow in our generosity that this will not be something that we just eke our way through and find our way to the end, but instead we grow through becoming who God has called us to be, a people that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that then all other things will find their place. I pray blessings over you and your family in this season. And I know that God has great things in store. Father, show us your goodness in this season. May we come together as a community of generous people who want to simply trust in you. We need you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.